listening to The Reese Show. On this show, we're trying to clarify what a good future looks like. I know we're all a bit sad about late-stage capitalism, and we want to transition to something, but we don't really know what's next. So, on the show, we interview experts about what is emerging, this beautiful future vision that we can all lean into. I hope it gives you a sense of purpose and clarity about the future. If you like the show, you know, feel free to do something about it. <laughs> you can leave us a five-star review. You can tell your friends. You can name your first child Reese. Whatever makes you happy. And if you really dig it, we have an online school called Root, where we help folks understand these root-level systems to find our route forward. We have cohorts of world-class systems thinkers that run every couple of months. So if you're interested in that, check us out at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. Thanks. Today I chat with Yele Badamose. Yele is a crypto and tech founder in Nigeria, and we chat a lot about what's happening in Nigeria today around End SARS, which is this campaign against police brutality there. And it's amazing to just hear from him about all the youth energy and this new collective vision that's happening right now in Nigeria. So check that out. And there's also some links in the podcast notes uh, for ways to help out or learn more or donate, especially check out the Feminist Coalition. And then we also chat about Yele's current work and how, you know, the rising tech scene in Africa and all of the opportunities and difficulties of that uh, evolution. So enjoy the show with Yele. Goodbye. Also, to make sure there's no confusion here, SARS is not the virus, but is rather a special anti-robbery squad which is part of Nigeria's police force. And so when we say end SARS, we're talking about kind of like ending police brutality, ending this special kind of, you know, robbery squad in Nigeria, not the virus. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm excited to chat with Yele Baramosi. Yele is the CEO of Bundle Africa, a social payments app, a founding partner of MicroTraction, which funds African tech, and he was previously a director at Binance. And in addition, Yele is Nigerian and is currently on the ground in Nigeria as they are protesting police brutality through this hashtag NSARS campaign. Uh, I'm excited to dive into all these with Yele, and thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, look forward to speaking about you know, a number of things. Yeah, I think there's a lot of juicy, juicy topics here. I think to start, let's just start with end SARS. Um, and could you kind of give our listeners who are probably, you know, in, you know, <laughs> San Francisco or in America somewhere, or could be around the world, but could you give them an overview of like what is happening right now in Nigeria mm -hmm. with SARS and what kind of protests are happening? Sure. Um, so, you know, the, the there's been a lot of, conversation initially online primarily through twitter um in over the last kind of like month um about sars so sars is um a police unit um that was initially set up for um to focus on sort of like robbery um so it's like a special anti-robbery squad mm -hmm. 
over the last kind of you know five ten whatever number of years they've began to move into other crimes and unfortunately um due to a lack of um, consequence and um you know i guess balance and checks you know the the unit has gone rogue um and although the campaign is about ends it's about, it's about sars or it's called nsars um there's actually a broader call around you know police brutality and and um um, police reform, um, and it's it's not dissimilar to um, the Black Lives Matter campaign in the in in the US, um, but this is happening in Nigeria, um, and you know it's been crazy to sort of see the the movement move from something that was purely online to offline um, in a space of a week, and how far it's come. You know, for most people in in this generation. We have not been part of any protests. And so, you know, it, it's it's created a sense of unity and pride amongst young Nigerians about what Nigeria can be because, you know, the amount of infrastructure and coordination and networks in an extremely decentralized manner that has happened in the last one week is truly, truly phenomenal. Like I've never seen this type of coordination by Nigerians in Nigeria this quickly in my life. Wow. That, so that's an amazing overview, and I just want to highlight a couple things. One is, yeah, it's interesting. It's funny. I think, you know, in America, we'll have, like, the Black Lives Matter protests. But, like, in Nigeria, where most folks are black, it's like that doesn't <laughs> that hashtag doesn't make as much sense. And so it kind of it makes sense that you'd have uh, a different kind of hashtag. And then, as you said, the shift from online to um, offline, it's like the real world. And then this power of – this is something, as I've been researching this um, in preparation for this interview – learning about how the youth and how, tell me more about like what that feeling is like. We're like, wow, so much is happening. These networks are getting engaged. The youth are getting engaged. Tell me more about like what that feels like or an example of that. So I think like, you know, the average young Nigerian is extremely patriotic and they're just proud. They've always been proud to be Nigerian. But at the same time, you look at what's on the ground and there's not really a lot to be proud of. Right. Um, so outside of, you know, media and, and, and entertainment and music, um, you know, the creative arts, when you look at things like governance or um, other economic index, you just realize that, wow, we have such a long way to go. But at the same time, we still had this pride. Um, for me, the, the NSARS movement has really shown me what, what, what Nigeria can be. Because, you know, even though we have 36 states, hundreds of languages, um, people from different economic classes. It's the first time where I've seen people unified around a particular subject and they, they're refusing to allow anything distract them, right? And you you see kind of like how memes, and when I say memes, I don't mean like, you know, the kind of comedy yeah. memes, like ideas or ideology spread, you know? So there, there have been a bunch of like slangs, words, um, things that have kind of like moved through social media. And it's it's just... Really, really impressive. You know, one of the most impressive things that I've seen is is um, the feminist coalition. Um, they came out of nowhere. Initially, was set up to sort of promote um, gender equality and sort of issues around 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 gender um, and you know the fact that Nigeria is a patriarchal society. But they focused their efforts on 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 the NSAS movement at the beginning of last week. And it's just impressive to see that level of coordination, that level of transparency, um, that level of accountability 
you know, that we've not seen anywhere in any form of government, you know, and, you know, you hear things like no leaders all the time because no one, no one wants there to be leaders, mm. right? It's like whenever, whenever in the past, when we've had protests in the past, typically we'll, there was always very clear leadership and it was very easy for the, for the government to quell this, the, the, the protest down because it was like, if they just focused on the leaders, maybe give them some money um, or some deal, then they will try and sort of, you know, reduce the, the 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 citizen uprising. But with this particular one, there is no clear leader. And even when there is a leader who does something wrong or makes the you know the, the the wrong step, somebody else is ready to sort of pick up the baton. And it's it's just been, you know, it's filled me with so much hope about what Nigeria can be and what other African countries can be. To be honest, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think that there's. It reminds me of thinking about. Yes, you have these new movements that pop up, and when you have a decentralized movement, it is this like yeah. If you have a leader, a very clear leader at the top of it, then that leader is fallible or is like payoffable or whatever by the existing you know nation state system. Um, but within this, it's kind of like this you know deeper down you know built on the internet kind of thing where it's like yes, there are some leaders, but there's so much just movement in general, and so that's a powerful a powerful thing. Yeah. Tell me also a little. Okay. I think. I think even the, I'll say leaders in question mark, like they refuse to be called leaders. You know, they don't want to be seen as representative for these movements. Like they don't, they're like, no, no leaders, no leaders. I hear it all the time, you know? So it's like, it's really interesting. It's, it's kind of like what I expect public service to be, wherein that people, if you're, if you're in government or you're in public service, you're really doing a service for the greater good of the people. Right. And it's not about you saying, oh, I'm president or I'm the leader of this thing. And you then have egos. So it's really impressive to see that kind of trait being shown. And it's clear that the old guard don't understand it. It's like, why? Like, why is there no leader? You know, um, and yes, it's, it's, it shows the power of the of the of the Internet. It shows the power of social media. It shows the power of, of decentralized networks. Um and technology because it's played such a huge, huge, huge role. Um, and even some of the startups, the startup ecosystem that has been built in the last, you know, four or five years on the continent has has, has played a role in making this, um, you know, feel very different from previous yeah. ones. Tell me more. That's actually something. There's this great book by Zainab Tufeki called uh, Twitter and Tear Gas, and it's about how the Arab Spring was um, helped by Twitter with this ability to bring people together in a more you know decentralized permissionless uh way and then it brought the people together and it wasn't you know and then it the difficult thing though is that there was some fragility to those protests and that the power of the internet brought people together quickly but it wasn't able to like sustain these long-term kind of capacity building pieces and so i'm curious like i think the other thing here is that there's maybe a narrative that says hey we have a um you know something like the Arab Spring was not created by Twitter or whatever. It's like, oh, it was like the people on the ground. And so it's like this balance of like how much we attribute technology to the protest itself. So I'm just curious from you, I guess, two questions. One, tell me more about like how you see technology's role here versus the role of the people. And mm -hmm. second, how do you see the kind of, um, you know, does this, does it seem fragile or does it seem like there's long-term capacity building happening? Hmm. So I think I, I kind of thought about this a while back. The last kind of main protest in Nigeria was the Occupy Nigeria 
campaign in 2012, I believe. Um, and Nigeria is a lot different now than in 2012. So in 2012, majority of young people didn't have smartphones because, you know, the smartphones were still quite expensive. Um, Android, they didn't really have a lot of like cheaper Android phones. The price of data was also even more expensive. So that meant that, you know, people were really on, on you know, online as, as, as much. Um, and then the social networks like Twitter, especially, or Instagram, you didn't have like celebrities or influencers who had, you know, multi-million followers. Maybe the most popular people on, on Twitter or Instagram then will have had, um, you know, 50,000 50, to 100,000 followers. And they'll have been like, you know, maybe five to 10 people with that kind of network. Today, you have, you know, millions of smartphones, cheaper internet, um, or more affordable data costs, data and data plans. And you have, um, you have, you have like, um, you know, people that, that, that have hundreds of people that have like millions of followers online, you know, this is really, really unique. And that has definitely played a role in, in just the spread of information. Um, I think that that has made things, made this a lot more successful, um, in terms of fragility, to be honest, like, I don't think anyone can call these things that black swan events, you know, it'll be easier to look six months down the line and look back at hindsight and say, okay, here are the things that didn't make this work or what, what, how it could have played out differently. So I'm not going to try and play a prediction game, but the way I think about it is they're, they're definitely clear mental models or inf digital infrastructure or communication networks that have been built and can be reused sometime in the future in a very kind of distributed, decentralized manner. And now that the youth have seen and experienced this, um, you know, we can never be the same. You know, I was at one of the earlier protests on Saturday when we realized that actually it makes sense for us to stay at a particular location. We needed like speakers um, to keep the morale up. And by the next one on Tuesday, you know, we, we brought some of these things in and people are learning and they see stuff on social media, they'll learn how to, how to protest. And it's like this replicative virus that, that people are kind of picking up. Um, so, you know, even though I can't predict it, like I know that the impact of these are going to be tremendous. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I love that answer because you're like, hey, it's obviously these things are hard to predict. You know, a, a nonviolent movement is really hard. And yeah, how will it look like other past movements and whatever? But I really like what you said of, hey, there's these new, there's A, this, this sense of energy and revitalization and hope that is existing now, which is so, so powerful. And like that will continue to some extent. And the kind of communication networks that have been built around this will continue to some extent. And the like mental models for how to do protesting and how to do organizing. So like, even if quote unquote, you know, end SARS, you know, like ends, or if there's something, you know, something happens to it, there's those like capacity building did happen to that to that extent so that's cool i think what i would love to learn now too yela is you have this a uh, story and i think this would help our listeners also understand some of the stuff that sars is doing um or was doing could you tell us more about this story where you were like personally extorted by sars sure um so my my story is pretty um i don't think it's unique um i think that a lot of people have had this type of experiences before. Um, I just happened to, I guess, have more of a platform or a voice. And for a number of people, they were surprised that it happened to me. Um, 
and not that you know not that i had like an inflated ego or anything but it was just you know um i hadn't shared the story so sharing my story at the peak of when everyone was kind of telling their stories was like okay if it can happen to um you know a ceo or 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 you know um or uh, an investor in the space then it could happen to almost anyone and and i think for me as well um it was a traumatic experience um you know for, for for a number of weeks after that i didn't like passing the 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 road where where it happened because you know it it just reminded me of 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 the particular situation um but essentially you know it was october 2019 um i was on the way home it was around 10 10 30 i was just about two minutes from my from my house um and my car wasn't working at the time so i got i got an um a boat so a boat is like an alternative to you know uber in in, in nigeria um and you know as we we're getting close to the house we saw like a group of, of men you know flagging down the car with like flashlights um so i wasn't quite sure what they were whether they were like you know estate security or policemen um and so when we when we got there the drivers stopped they asked him out of the car he brought out his papers um and essentially essentially you know he showed him like what what he had but he wasn't he wasn't able to um they asked the question i didn't quite catch what the questions were about then they asked him to come out of the car and I was wondering, okay, what do they want? They asked me, they asked me like, what, what's your name? What do you do? Do you have your ID? I, I had all of these different, you know, things. Um, and I thought that was going to be it. Then they asked me for my phone. I brought out my phone. Um, I didn't think twice about it. They started going through my email, my WhatsApp messages, my pictures. And at this point, it began to feel really invasive. Um, and because of the work that I did, you know, I had conversations with like foreigners, um, other investors about like deals and they were like oh you're talking to foreigners it means you must be a yahoo boy yahoo boys um you know someone that does like internet internet fraud or internet scams um and i was like no like you know here's enough proof um and they were just not listening you know it's like they were hell bent on on kind of getting money from me um and um you know it was it was it was it was really really Sort of frustrating because I was like, you know, what what can I say to get out of the situation? Um, essentially, they then told me to get into a bus. This bus was unmarked, um, um, and I didn't want to get in the bus. You know, they threatened me that if I didn't get in the bus, I'll have essentially gotten beaten up. You know, it was around at this time it was around eleven o'clock. It was late. There were no lights. It was just five men, not really wearing any uniforms. Maybe a couple of. A, one had a vest, one had a hat that had the police insignia or the SARS insignia um, to, 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 that was the only identifying, in, you know, visual information I could get from them. Um, and, you know, when I got in the bus, they took everything from me. They took my phones, they took my wallet, they took my cards, they took my, 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 my house keys. Um, and instead of asking for a million naira, a million naira is about 2,000, at the time, it would have been maybe like around three thousand, three thousand dollars. No one has to be like very few people have three thousand dollars in their in their in in their accounts. Actually, ninety eight percent of Nigerian bank accounts have less than five hundred thousand naira, right? So that gives you a sense of how insane that request was. And I was like, I don't have 
um, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have this amount of money. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to me. Um, you know, they kept threatening me, and then it took me around. You know, a lot of different checkpoints. I don't know how to describe this, but each checkpoint or each drive was about forty minutes in different directions that were not close to each other. Um, it was only towards about it was much much later when, um, you know, after numerous interrogations and questions, that they realized that you know I wasn't who they who, who they thought I was. Um, at this point, like my my phone had like numerous missed calls. People didn't know where I was, um, and you know they wanted me to transfer money from my U.S. bank account to my Nigerian naira account, and that's not possible. Like even doing USD based transaction in the US without Zelle or Venmo or Cash App is like ridiculously hard. Imagine trying to move USD to a Naira. It just doesn't work, you know. Um, in the end, they forced me to go to an ATM machine where I, you know, withdrew all of the money in my account. It was about, you know, I don't really keep a lot of Naira on me. I'm very long on Bitcoin and um, other stable coins. Um, and I gave them about, 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 about like maybe about $150 um, and they dropped me off at a petrol station with about 2% battery left. Um, and I, I just booked my Uber, called my friend that was on the way home when my battery died. You know, if my phone died, I would have been stranded. I wasn't sure I'd have gotten home. It took me about an hour to get back home. Yeah, wow. And then, oh, thank you for sharing. I mean, it's so, it's so intense to be living your normal life. And then to just have something like this come up so randomly and for it to be, for you to be put in this situation, as you said, the like trauma afterwards of like seeing, you know, you know, police officers on the side of the road or going near that, 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 that location again, you're like thinking and replaying those moments through your, your head. Um, so just again, thank you for sharing. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're safe. Is there, was there, I guess, thinking about that moment where you were like, like, did you know when you were in the heat of the, like in their car and they were like searching through your stuff and get, you know, extorting you from like, did you have thoughts of like, am I ever going to get out of this? Yeah. I mean, like, I think I was, I was really concerned because I think for me, I was just like, anything could happen right now. Anything could happen right now. And no one will ever know. Right. Like, it was late. There were no cars around. I hadn't made a call. I didn't know where they were taking me. And at, in, in, in that moment, it felt that, you know, I was just going to be like, I would like my, my, my life was in their hands. Like they could have done anything to me. Right. Um, and I just kept thinking and saying, okay, like, what do I know? I, you know, I, I told them more about myself, you know, gave them as much information. I don't know how, you know, stuff that's in TV, I didn't know if it worked, but like tried to humanize myself and try to identify like the 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 one kind of officer that seemed to be more open and friendly towards me. Because I knew that if I could get one of them on my side, you know, it would be easier to diffuse the information to the rest of them. Right. So very quickly out of those five of them. I identified who the leader was, who the antagonist was, the one who was like, you know, really, really just was just hell bent on trying to make my life as miserable as possible. And the one who was most supportive and I focused on the supportive one and the, and the, and the chief commander. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was it was a it was a crazy experience. I think even talking about it and recounting the the experience, you know, makes you remind remember some memories that you you you've suppressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just sitting with that for a second and just thinking about. I mean, and I'm I'm you know I I haven't had similar experiences, but there've been ones where. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was just like a time in India where I was there and then there were a bunch of like taxi drivers that came. It was like really, it's like four in the morning and they all came out of the woodwork and were like surrounding us. And like mine was less intense than yours, but even still thinking back to that moment and just thinking like, oh boy, could this go bad, you know? Um, so something also that this makes me think of, Yele, is did you like sharing that story could like is that going to get you more in trouble you know or like is it everybody sharing their stories and so no one's going to get in trouble or tell me like what was the impetus to share and is that like scary to share no i think for me um when it happened to me i'd seen i'd seen other stories heard other stories had friends that had their own stories and at the time i didn't want to share because i just didn't want to be another statistic i didn't have an idea of what the solution could be. Um, and the what made me share was actually another CEO's tweets, which I actually quoted, you know, and it was more like, like I, I it, it felt liberating to kind of like share share the story just out like so people understand how crazy, you know, this whole thing has been. Um, and you know, and, and the tweet had like almost one like about 1.5 million impressions, right? So I don't know how many people saw that story. And now, you know, other people were sharing their story at that particular time. And I think, like, the number of stories being shared on social media and the videos, and it made me realize how bad this was. And I think that's what made people kind of, like, get out on the streets. So not just my story was, you know, there were, there, were, there were thousands of stories, you know, and then you realize that, like, wow, like, we need change. We need change, and we're going we're gonna to figure out how to effect and get that change that we want. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's, and it's similar in that sense to kind of the hashtag me too stuff where it's like at the beginning, it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. not that many, like there's just this thing that is, has actually happened to many people, but then once it starts getting shared, everybody goes, oh yeah, me too. Like this is, this is bad. Um, so one thing mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about here too, is like, I guess as you know, this protest goes forward, I know that there's, I mean, there's a lot of complicated stuff here where it's like, oh, the government said, oh, maybe we are, they are going to end SARS, but like they've said that many times in the past, they're starting up like a different unit, like a new SWAT unit. Tell me how you see this kind of, you know, uh, unfolding in the next couple of weeks or months. To be honest, like, I don't know. Um, this week is very critical. Um, there's a lot of disturbing stuff going on, you know, on social media at the time in terms of um, bad actors hijacking the protest or, you know, some um, thugs attacking peaceful protesters, some policemen um, actually, you know, assaulting people. And um, I think this is very, this week is very critical week. Um, If we can stay the course of this week and we don't relent, we don't give up, um, and people stay motivated, um, you know, the, the, I believe we can, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can be successful, you know, and I always remind myself, like, don't get tired, don't get really stay focused. Um, and it's tough, right? Like, you know, you have, I have like a comp, I have two companies bundled and, 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 and micro traction. Um, but at the same time, I care very deeply about Nigeria. I care very deeply about 
our people and 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 wanting to be better. And I and like I know how critical this moment is, you know, um, in history. Um, so, you know, is is I think I think that my hope is that you know we we keep going. You know, we 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 continue to apply pressure on the government. And some states have been making good progress. You know, some are much slower than others. Um, and there's there's definitely been kind of like response from the government. Um, I just I just hope that it doesn't descend into um, anarchy. Um, you know, but it's it's yeah, it's um, it's it's you know, I, I saw a tweet today. Um, it said in Hong Kong, they've been protesting for. I think a year and a half, and they only had two deaths. Um, in in Nigeria, it's been a week, and we've had more than ten deaths. Um, and so it shows it shows the difference. You know, that's it's that's almost uh, about maybe seventy five weeks. This was one week, and then in seventy five weeks, you have two deaths, and in one week, you have you have over ten. Maybe I don't know what the final number is. So you know, the 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 severity of what's at stake. As we protest, it's a lot higher. The stakes, the stakes are a lot higher than most other parts of the world. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing for the best. I think it would be a good uh, time to transition as you chat about your companies here, where it's like not only are you part of these these protests and and you know going out there and, and protesting on the streets, and you have these two companies. So let's chat about those for a second. So there's Bundle Africa, um, which is one this you know social payments app. Tell me more about like you know, that company and like your, your goals of that, that company? Um, so with Bundle Africa, um, you know, for me, it starts with wanting to drive the adoption of digital assets in, in Africa. Um, I personally believe that Bitcoin and, and decentralized technologies have the potential to lead to the economic freedom and 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 um uh lead, lead to economic freedom and prosperity for for the average africans right so you know people take for granted the quality of quality and access to financial services that you have depending on your geography um if you're in the us you can get access to credit at single digit interest rates per annum if you're in nigeria you'll be lucky if you can even get access to credit at all most times if you get credit you know it will be double digits on a monthly basis um and this is despite the fact that there's like you know double digit inflation as well so you know the the, the money that you hold um as as you know to 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 save is, is literally going going away um, and so for me, the idea of, 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 of crypto, um, is really solves three things. One is, um, you give people to give, give access to financial services, regardless, like your geography and where you're born should not determine the quality of financial services that you have. Right. Um, number two is that for Africa to grow, we need serious capital infusion, and that capital has to be transparent. It has to be accountable. Um, it, it it has to be trustworthy so that um, you know foreign foreign investors or, or 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 donors really understand 
where, where their money is going into and they know how they can get their money out. And so that means you need a new type of digital infrastructure and financial infrastructure that the current status quo can solve for. Today, Africa's financial landscape is extremely fragmented. Um, and and that 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 also reduces the 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 speed at which you know these these um capital markets can grow and scale. And the final one is that I personally believe that, and this this kind of like NSAR's movement has 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 demonstrated this, right? You know, we as young people in Africa have a huge distrust for government, and we want to be coordinated but not have any leadership. And the beauty of sort of like blockchains and decentralized networks is this idea of coordination without necessarily a leader or a centralized authority. Um, and even though no one is really doing anything in this front, it's still one of the ideas that I'm actually passionate about. You know, so for me, the, the, the goal of blockchain is how, sorry, the goal of Bundle Africa is how do we accelerate Africa's economic development by leveraging this technology um, that cuts beyond just technology. It's, 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 it's a financial innovation. It's a, it's a societal innovation. It's an economic innovation. And I believe that Africa is the best place for us to see the full potential of, 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 of blockchain and digital assets, including Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I think that there's, I mean, it's, you know, that perspective of, you know, financial infrastructure in the internet in general and also for Africa. It's like seeing that, you know, recently the, you know, that Stripe acquired Paystack for 200 million is just a sign of that. It's just like, yo, there's going to be a lot more growth here of financial infrastructure in mm -hmm. Africa. Do you tell me they're like, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, if I want to acquire digital assets in Africa or what have you, or like, or tell me like the thing that I thought here was like, why would I use Bundle Africa versus like Coinbase? Or why would I use Bundle Africa versus something like M-Pesa? Yeah, so I mean, Coinbase is... Um... Coinbase is, is is sort of based in the US. Um, and that means that for the average African, um, they can't really access it, you know, to do verifications. You get asked things like your social security number or you need the US ID. And even then, you know, it is in USD. For you know, an indigenous product like Bundle Africa, um, it, it is it is NGN. And as we scale into other African countries, we'll support the local fiat in there as well. Um, so that's kind of like number one, right? Um, number two is that there are a bunch of things that we can do and we can enable that are unique for Africa. You know, so so you know, for instance, we support kind of like bank transfer and, and card payments at cost prices that people in the US would only love right so it's it costs like a cent to 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 deposit money and and you know it, it happens instantly when you withdraw it happens instantly as well in the u.s it takes like some days or it takes like some hours whatever the case may be um and the other features in the future such as like savings credits that we're, that we're building that we can't do you know you can't do on like coinbase with mpesa mpesa is quite different in that um number one it's Mpesa is primarily in, in, in Kenya mm. um, and it's a multi-channel, um, it's, it's, it's primarily mobile money. Although, you know, there's an Mpesa app for smartphones, it's still primarily mobile money and it's a USSD pay, based payment, you know, network. 
Bundle does two things. Bundle allows you send both cash and crypto and also allows you exchange between cash and crypto, right? So if you had, if someone sent you Bitcoin, you can take Bitcoin to the person network and exchange that for your local fiat, right? So that is kind of like the the the, the big difference. Bundle in the future could integrate in PESA, although there are a bunch of things around that, but Bundle could integrate in PESA. Um, you know, so PESA is just another payment network like we add in cards or bank transfer or, you know, or mobile money um, so that users can cash in, cash out with whatever payment channel that yeah, they want. Got it, yeah. I think as you said there, the you know, the difference between just being a U.S.-based company and being, you know, an African or Nigerian-based company is big around, like, the amount, even just thinking about, you know, back to that, like, Paystack uh, acquisition by Stripe, it's like, you know, Paystack, they're, like, their shtick was like, hey, we are Stripe for Africa. And then, and so you could be like, oh, well, why are you even, you know, making Stripe for Africa? Like, shouldn't Stripe do or can't Stripe do that? But in fact, there's so much on the ground knowledge that they have. There's so much, you know, XYZ that then they are making Stripe for Africa so much that, you know, Stripe is like, sweet, I'll acquire you. And so I, I see a similar thing here with Bundle Africa where it's like the amount, yeah, all these things that are like built natively for Nigeria and, and African countries, you can do um, and 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 kind of be there on the ground. So that, that makes sense. This makes me think too about, you know, more generally this kind of the Nigerian and African tech ecosystems here, which are just something that I know very little about. And I think, you know, just for myself and for my listeners, just as a reminder, I mean, the amount of uh, like growth within Africa in the next, you know, 180 or so years is going to be massive. I mean, it's going to, the world as a whole will go from roughly 8 billion to 11 billion people, and almost all 3 billion of those people will be in Africa. And so there's just going to be this amazing, you know, you know, explosion of youth and opportunity and, and awesome things getting built mm-hmm. in Africa in the next, you know, like 80 years. So I just think it's like, it's kind of crazy to even like, we're just at the, the start of that. So tell me like, what are some of the proto, like what, what's happening on the ground today with, um, with, you know, the tech scene in Africa? Yeah, so I think it's crazy. Um, 2015, early 2015, I was still in the UK. Um, and I was, you know, reading about um, a company that just raised a million dollars. But I was 20, I think it was, that was 2015, early 2015, early 2014. Um, and it was a big deal. You know, here is an indigenous founder raising a million dollars from an indigenous VC. And that was that, that was like the, a huge milestone. And I was like, wow, like, okay, there's something happening in Nigeria. So I decided to move back. And five years on, you know, we've had a $200 million exit to to Stripe from indigenous founders, you know, and that, that, in my opinion, kind of like summarizes the growth of the ecosystem when five years ago, it was impressive for a company to be raising a million dollars. And then within five years, you're getting a $200 million exit right? Um, you know, it's really crazy to see the growth. Um, there have been companies founded like Flutterwave, another payment company that's similar to Paystack, um, and Della, um, you know, they, they raised from Mark Zuckerberg and, and a bunch of, you know, other prominent people. Um, there are companies like Carrywise, Piggy Vest, um, you know, a lot of these companies um, tend to be within the financial services space. And if you remember what I discussed earlier, it was this idea that, you know, the financial services infrastructure for Africa has been built, you know, the same way how we leapfrogged kind of like landlines and moved into um, 
moved into smartphones um, and, you know, most people never had laptops and just their first kind of interaction with the internet was on their mobile phone. It's like, it's never mobile first, it's like mobile only. Um, we are building kind of like this financial infrastructure and, you know, a lot of companies are, are, are being set up, you know, whether it's in, in, in savings and investments, um, whether it's in, 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 in credit, whether it's in, in, in payments or e-commerce, um, logistics, um, it's a really, really diverse ecosystem. Um, and yeah, it's growing, it's growing rapidly. You know, when I, when I founded my contraction three years ago, um, or three and a half years ago, it, it was, I'm not even sure I thought the ecosystem will have scaled as quickly as it, as, as it, as it has. So it's, it's pretty, um, it's exciting to be a part of it. And, you know, I can't wait for what the next five years will look like when, $200 million exits are kind of like the norm and people realize that, oh shit, stuff is happening, you know, on the, on the, on the continent. Yeah. yeah I think it's going to be, as you note here, it's like when you first saw that, you know, that product that, you know, in 2015, oh, a million dollars from a, you know, indigenous VC, indigenous founder. And then it's like, okay, now more folks are starting to pay more and more attention of like, okay, $200 million, that's a lot. And then, you know, in five years, is it's a normal thing or when in the future, it's like, oh my God, it's kind of like with, you know, it's similar from my own like personal Western perspective, American perspective. It's like blah, 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 living my life. And then like all of a sudden, oh my God, China has so many people and so much tech and they have these massive exits or whatever. And I think it's a similar, mm -hmm. similar vibe with, with Africa soon. Does that, does it feel just kind of like, societally or you know philosophically is there this sense i'm, I'm, I'm reminded of um i lived in china for a year and this just this sense in china of like you know after um you know with deng xiaoping in the 80s and then this like movement towards more and more you know marketization and opening up and this this sense of you know bringing hundreds of millions of people out of poverty and like everybody felt there's a sense this like palpable sense of excitement and like hard workingness of like, like okay we're like moving up in the world is there Tell me, like, what is that feeling for Nigeria or for Africa? Like, does that exist? This feeling, like, hey, we're gonna like do something as 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 a you know country and as a, as a continent, or yeah, what does that feel like, you know, societally? I think you know, it is is um extremely bullish, but at the same time also disheartening. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is that you know, when you're in the US. Um, or even in Europe, or even China, as they as they as they come began to boom, the entire environment was set up to help you succeed, right? You know, whether it's the fact that you have like VC infrastructure, good universities, um, you know, power, right? Um, financial services that work and are supporting supporting entrepreneurs, um, good government policy and relaxed taxation. Um, you know, you have all these things that you don't even think about that allows you to focus on building your company. In, in, in Nigeria and most African countries, I genuinely believe that every single kind of like founder or like individual that does something has to be five to 10 times better, right? Like, because the whole infrastructure and the system is set up for you to fail. But what that does is that it creates extremely resilient and grateful individuals that, in my opinion, these same people can survive and build billion-dollar companies anywhere, right? Shola 
extended his company for $200 million, that same entrepreneur, if he was in the US, he could build a multi-billion dollar company. Because for him to get to where he got to, he had to sort of like, you know, walk through the fire to get to where it is. So in my mind, like, I think it makes me so bullish because I know that like there's so many of us that are trying and we're trying to create this change. And, you know, I was telling a friend the other day, I said, in the US, you have like the American dream and the American dream is, is, is individualistic. You know, it's like as an individual, I can come to the US and be successful regardless of my background. I don't think we have the Nigerian dream. Um, for me, I think what this week has shown me is that we have a Niger, like we, sh we should create a Nigerian vision, which is more or less a collective idea of what Nigeria can be and why we as young people must fight for that future to create the future that we want to live in so that our kids, our kids can truly be proud to call themselves Nigerians or like Africans because of what we achieved in our own lifetime. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't come from government, right? It won't come from the same people that are in government right now. It will come from, it will come from us. You know, it's, it's, it's on us to create the future we want to, want to live yeah. in. So that's why I said, like, it's a, it's like you're bullish, but at the same thing, you're like, man, imagine if we had the kind of, you know, enabling infrastructure and environment that, that the rest of the world had, you know, how, where would we yeah. be? So yeah, it's, it's um, bittersweet. Yeah, you know? I love it. I think that, that, that you know, um, paradoxical perspective makes sense. And I, I just love that you're highlighting these, the kind of, you know, walk through the fire thing. It reminds me of, just for me again, as just... It, uh, I, as a person, you know, growing up as just like a rich, white, you know, cis, straight male in, you know, Colorado, it just, I had all of the um, privileges, uh, you know, given to me. And then over time, I've seen like, oh, wow, what is this like for different folks? And I remember just like, you know, this is a simple example, but just like reading about, you know, Hillary Clinton's life when she was going through Harvard Law School in um, the seventies and being like, Oh my God, like that sounds tough. Like people were so mean to her and they didn't think that a woman should be there and all these things. And then similarly, it's like just that like underlying sense of infrastructure where it's like, Hey, yeah, all these folks, what you're doing in Africa, what other folks are doing in Africa and Nigeria, it's just like the amount of, yeah, y'all have to work. Yeah. Five to 10 X harder to get the same stuff done. And so hopefully I'm, I, I, I hope it, it can happen and I'm, I'm excited for a reality and it's thank you for building the infrastructure that will help more and more people get more stuff done because I think that that's, that's going to be an exciting reality. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, I guess I want to ask a couple things, mainly like, is there anything, you know, for listeners who are listening to this, is there any way that they can learn more about SARS or any way that they can like help with, with, you know, the, the hashtag in SARS movement? Yeah, I mean, like, I think for me, um, I actually created a Twitter list for um, a few key accounts that one can follow to kind of like just, you know, keep track of what's going on. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the news and the updates are is so um, uh, crazy right now. So, you know, Twitter is still the best place to kind of, up to date um if you want to support um i recommend the feminist coalition um i can share you know the the, the links with you later on um but you know there are a group of exceptional women who um have donated to who who have been able to raise funds from various individuals and and, and companies um 
and are providing kind of like you know um aid from food water um, masks ambulances security for the protests um and just ensuring things you know work as smoothly as possible and also providing like legal aid to get arrest um, to get um protesters that have been arrested unjustly out of 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 prison um and when you check their website you know you can track where and how your money has been spent um and yeah it is just the best in my opinion it's the best way to get started um and they also share re you know, regular updates all the time so you know um yeah i think the twitter list you can follow that and then um feminist coalition as well they have a bitcoin wallet that you can you know donate funds to um and yeah that's that's that sounds really. good. Yeah, I'll, I'll share those with listeners as links as well. And I guess just for folks to learn more about you or Microtraction or Bundle Africa, is uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Okay, so on Twitter, um, my email, sorry, Twitter, my, my 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 handle is um, at ELA by the mercy. Um, uh, yeah, and then for 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 Bundle Africa, it's at Bundle Africa one word. And microtraction is at microtraction one word. Um, yeah, that's kind of like the best place to 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 keep up to date. Great. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll link to those as well. And again, Yale, thank you for a for just sharing your story, that intense story with SARS earlier for us today, and with the world, and as part of, as you noted, as a part of this collective, you know, Me Too style thing of, hey, this is an issue, and everybody's had something with it. Um, thank you for getting out there on the streets and for protesting. Um, and really hoping for the best uh, for Nigeria, both in this next coming period with, with SARS and also generally just excited for um, a version of infrastructure in the future that you and others are building that will allow people to do amazing things in Africa over the coming century. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a real pleasure and um, look forward to listening to the episode. Yeah. That <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Yale. And thanks, listeners. Goodbye, everybody. quick notes at the end. Hope you enjoyed that episode. First, a bit on tech and network nonviolent protest. This is definitely one of my passions, and I think that the best book to read here is, as I noted in the show, Zainab Tufekci's Twitter and Tear Gas. It really shows how these movements, how, how nonviolent protest in general is a combination of signaling from the, you know, movement to the state, something like, oh, here's a really big protest. Like, y'all better, like, listen to us there's the signaling side which is generally done with information and there's also the capacity building side where you're starting to build out hierarchies and networks of communication and ways to kind of you know capital and, and getting funding and things that can kind of sustain the movement so there's like the one shot things which are the signals and then there's the longer term capacity building and as Zainab talks about in her book the one shot signals were really hyper uh, they were they, they became a lot more powerful with Twitter and with Facebook and all these things, and especially in, you know, Zainab uses the Arab Spring as her example here, and you can see, wow, it's amazing, the ability to get these people together with these strong signals, let's take down the state, but then the fragility, you know, and the subtitle of her book is called The Power and Fragility of Networked Nonviolent Protest, 
the fragility piece is that, yeah, those signals were powerful at the beginning, but were not updated long-term to, they didn't have the capacity building behind them. And so uh, for many things in the Arab Spring, there was the big signal, the state was taken down, and then the long-term capacity building of the movement didn't exist. So this is similar in Nigeria right now, but obviously very different. A, the, the cool similar thing is that it is, you know, just for Yele hearing about how different it was with the 2012 Occupy protests versus in, in Africa and in Nigeria versus the protests now and how these days they everybody has smartphones and data and they're influencers and that that has such a massive impact on yeah the, the evolution of these protests. And so, and I really like Yele's response here, which is that even if the protest fails, that those some of the communications networks and other kinds of networks that were built up here will continue to stay and be sticky over time. Just like how in the Arab Spring, folks now know that they can protest and things of that variety. I also think the other piece here, just as a reminder for everybody with tech and network nonviolent protests, there's like the movement building piece, which is getting everybody out in the streets. And there's also just the the match that lights the fire for all this. And the match is just the ability for smartphones to film bad things or, you know, what Ben Thompson calls the dust in the air or what, you know, Ben Thompson quoting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar calls dust in the air, which is like, yeah, there are bad things happening all around us. And once we can smartphone film them, then we can say, oh, my God, that's so bad. Let's protest against it. The other thing, as I'm just vocal processing through this, is that, you know, just seeing the power of one of the things the internet does just like filming bad things happening and then everybody getting angry about them is it allows people with shared stories to come out it allows these inner you know uh, something that wasn't common knowledge to come out and you know here it's Yale's story and many other people's stories of oh my god SARS is bad and we can do this kind of slacktivism you know, where Yele, it's not, I mean, slacktivism is the negative connotation term of it, but it's kind of easier for everybody to get online and say, hashtag me too. It's easier for everybody to get online and say, hey, I've been messed up by SARS as well. So let's chat about that. Yeah, so that's on the tech, work, tech and network nonviolent protest side. Also just generally thinking about the evolution of, you know, democracies and, you know, authoritarian regimes around the world. You know, Nigeria is is new to democracy. I mean, they just got independence from colonialization in 1960. They really started their stable democracy in 1999 after a couple of years of back and forth and some civil wars. And the 2015 presidential election was the first time that an incumbent president had lost re-election. That's, that's, that's big stuff. And I think it's just exciting to see where they're going to go. And I'm reminded of you know, Robert Englehart's book around cultural evolution and how self-expression values create democracy. And in a place like Nigeria right now, which has relatively low democracy, it's, I think it's four out of 10 on the democracy index, they're a quote-unquote hybrid regime. They're also, but they're high-ish on self-expression values. They're like 0.5 out of, out of two for that. And which is yeah, which is relatively high. It's, it's 0.5 out of two, and but negative two is um, kind of survival values versus self-expression values. And so yeah, they're they're 0.5. They're on the the self-expression value side. And what happens in the past, and what happened in like the USSR, when the USSR collapsed in the 80 or late 80s, early 90s, there was a bunch of desire from the kind of satellite states 
they had a lot of self-expression values, aka a desire, a demand for democracy, so that when the USSR fell, democracy showed up in its place. And I think we are seeing a similar thing as we get more self-expression values in the world. Those then turn into democracy. Great. And then the, the third piece I want to say here is around privilege. And just really powerful story from Yele about how it's exciting to be building out infrastructure for Africa. And it's also so hard. I mean, from the smallest things, from things like being, you know, extorted money by, you know, in theory, your government to, you know, having five to 10x, um, you know, to, to it being you know, not having the power, you know, power in the literal energy sense, like electricity to, to build stuff out. So I think that there's, yeah, it's just a reminder for me of not only just being scoped to the United States, but a reminder of being scoped to the world as a whole and how privilege is a function of both your identity, but also where you're born and what government you have and all of these things. And that, yeah, I'm excited for more and more infrastructure to be built for Africa and Nigeria so that, you know, people can be in a place that I was at when I was born as a child, which is, you know, connected into college and education and universities and this belief that I could be something and, you know, being told in the office space that I was, you know, a, a contributing member and having electricity every day. So hoping for that for more people. Yeah, and excited that Yale and other folks are building it. Okay, that is today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye.